0: Good morning, Faith Church. Man, it's good to see you guys today. Thanks uh, thanks so much for being here. Man, we did. We had a great time on vacation and just got to be away and got to get away and be refreshed. And, you know, uh, typically we, uh, I, you know, I attend a service somewhere. It's nice to go to church and not be Pastor Steve at some places just to kind of show up, sit down and not have any responsibility. But I'm just going to tell you guys, man, God is doing some great things at Faith Church. And sometimes it takes being away, coming back just to know what great things God's really doing. So, man, it's a privilege to be back here. Uh, just want you all to know, man, it's such an honor to be your pastor. And, uh, man, love what I get a privilege to do every week. So, well, listen, man, we're jumping into a brand new series uh, entitled Garage Sale. Some of you guys may say, you know, where in the world do we come up with some of these ideas? And, you know, Jesus, he used this, this kind of same way of teaching. He would take things that were very common, very familiar to people of his day and his time, and he would use those to teach spiritual truth. So a lot of the ways that God speaks to me is uh, is kind of the same way. So we'll take things like a garage sale that probably is common or at least familiar to All of us in this room and through it for the next several weeks, we're going to look at God's word. We're going to find out specifically what scripture has to say about some pretty profound ideas wrapped around the thought and the idea of a garage sale. Now, let me just jump in and say this. I know for some of us in this room, garage sales are really not our favorite thing. Uh, I probably would fall in that category. In fact, probably some of you would agree with this. If you go to a garage sale, if you go to a yard sale, there's just something about it that makes you feel like you maybe need a shower when you're done. Is anybody with me on that one? It says ah, you know, you don't know really, you're not really comfortable digging through other people's stuff. But some of you in this room, you kind of fall on the other side, and you are all about a flea market. You're all about a yard sale, all about it because there's like hidden gold there. There's valuables. There's treasure. There. How many yard sellers or garage sellers do we have? You like a good buy. Um, some more of you. Um, you know, I, again, I'm not really a big fan. Uh, But my wife, for several years, number of years, uh, she did a garage sale every year. I hated it. I moaned and groaned and complained the whole time. And we don't really keep much stuff. We're not really uh, pack rats at all. But she would always kind of get together this little pile of stuff, and I'd have to help her, you know, sort it out and pack it up. And, you know, she would go have this yard sale, and I'd be just miserable the whole time. But when it was all over, she would take this little pile of trash And turn it into like six or $700. And then I thought she was a genius. I thought she was, you know, the smartest person in the world. But so like I'm not really a fan, though, of the whole yard sale or garage sale idea. But here's what I know is for all of us in this room, whether whether you like them or not, there's something about a yard sale that brings the hoarder out of all of us. Now, when I say that, think about it. Because if you're here and you fall on the side that you like garage sales, you like yard sales, you know, we've all been in that spot where you walk up and you don't need it. You don't even know what it is, but you need to have it because it's only five dollars and you buy it. And probably all you do is you take it home and you put it in your garage until next year when you sell it in your garage sale. So like there's something about a yard sale that makes us uh, hang on or buy stuff that we don't need. But I think for me and some of you for you guys, it's not just buying stuff we don't need, but it's it's hanging on to stuff we don't need. Like there's sometimes when, it, like in those little yard sales we would have, there was a handful of items and I just didn't want to let them go. And I'm not a hoarder, I'm not a pack rat, but there are some items in like the garage, or there are some items in the attic, and we just have a hard time letting them go, and there's a reason for it. The reason sometimes when it's time to unpack, when it's time to unload, when it's time, time to downsize, the reason we have a hard time letting go of some certain objects is because, because of the memories that are attached to those items. For example, I have up here, this is, a, this is a toolbox. Now, if you go to any garage sale, any estate sale, any yard sale, you are inevitably gonna find that they're selling some tools. And if you were to sell this, this uh, little toolbox, if you were to sell this, you might be able to get 2 or $3 for it. So for some people, for, in fact, for all of you in this room, you might look at this and say, this has no value. It's a very common object. But I want you to know, to me, To me, this toolbox is incredibly valuable. In fact, I would say it's invaluable. And the reason is, is because of the memories attached to this toolbox. This toolbox was given to me by my dad. When we, were, uh, when we were little kids, me and my two older brothers, he gave us each a toolbox, gave us each our own, um, our own which is still in here, gave us each our own um, little ratchet set, little socket set, gave us each our own set of screwdrivers. And he made us initial our own, uh, initial in every screwdriver so we wouldn't fight over them and shank somebody else with one of the screwdrivers. So here's the thing is, listen, for me, for me when, when I see this toolbox, it speaks far more loudly Than it does probably to you again for you. All you see is a common little toolbox for me. I think of memories of my dad I think about how he taught me uh, kind of basic skills how to work on a car how to work on a small engine So so here's the thing is for all of us now. I want you to think about what is it in your house? What is it in your garage? What is the object in your attic? That you just would never want to get rid of not because it not because it has financial value but because it has sentimental value. What's the thing in your house that like if your house is on fire, it would be the thing that you would run in and try to save? what's the thing that if you had a yard sale, your husband would want to get rid of it, but you would make sure that you held on to it. See, if we would give it some thought, there's something like that in all of our homes because again, there's something about the value that we place and it's not really the value of this item, But it's what's attached to it. It's the memories that's attached to it. And so for all of us in this room, there are items, there are things that cause us to remember significant moments in history in our life. Like think about a yard sale. When you start having a yard sale, right, as you start digging through old stuff, what happens? Everybody starts saying, oh, you remember this? Remember, this is the tent. Remember, this is the first time time you took the kids camp and used this. You remember this? This was grandma's old whatever, you know. And it causes us to remember, just by looking at objects, just by handling old items, all of these old memories are stirred. All of these old memories are brought to the surface. And today, as we launch into this series, Garage Set, I want to talk about that thing that's on the inside of all of us. I want to talk about that thing that, where we associate valued items, where we, where we attribute memories to items. Because it's far more than a toolbox. It's far more than something that your grandma handed down to you. In fact, what I want to tell you today is, is that thing on the inside of us that associates incredible memories in our past to items actually comes from God. In fact, God uses this principle of association to help us not just value our history as a family, but God uses the principle of association. God uses the principle of identifying items with history, items with memories, to help us to lock into our spiritual faith and to continue to grow in our walk with him. And uh, in fact, there's there's an item up here. I want, to, I want to show you guys, and um, before we get to it, listen, the Bible says this. Over 150 times it uses the word remember. Everybody say remember. Remember. Well, why in the world would God tell us to remember? Do you know why? Because we have incredibly bad memories, and we forget. So God tells us things like this. God says, listen, I want you to remember who I am. God says things like this in Scripture. God says, I want you to remember my promises. God says, I want you to remember my commands. And these are all things, as people of faith, we would say, we'll we'll never forget God. We would never forget God's promises. We would never forget what God's done. But if we're honest in this room, sometimes we get so busy in life, we get so captured by, by going to class, going to school, by raising kids, getting to the job, trying to make everything happen. Sometimes we get so busy. If we're honest here today, I'm not gonna ask anybody to raise their hand, but probably there's a handful of you in this room, probably more than a handful that we could say, or you would be honest enough to say, Pastor, you know what? It's probably even been a couple of days. There's been times in my life that I can go two or three or four days and not even really pray. And it's not that I don't love God. But I get up and I'm just so busy and I wake up, the alarm goes off and I hit the ground running. And I go, go, go. And man, I collapse at night into the bed and wake up and do it again. And if I ask you to say, well, do you remember God? You say, yeah, it's not that I forgot him. But somehow God seems to like get more and more distant in our walk with him. And so what God does is God uses things, God uses objects to lock us into the memories we have of who he is, of what he's done, and what what he's promised to do. In fact, as you look through scripture, these 150 times that this word remember is used, a lot of it is God's promise to remember, which I love it. Because God says, listen, I promise I will always remember you. In fact, the first time in scripture that the word remember is used is in the book of Genesis chapter nine, where God says this, God says, and God remembered Noah. I just want you to know, listen, you might be in a place where at times you may feel like God has forgotten you, that God has forsaken you. You're not sure if God is even aware that you exist anymore. And I want you to know that God is aware of you. God remembers you. God knows where you are. God knows what you're going through. God empathizes with the struggle you're in and God is absolutely with you. But right after that, some things that God promises to remember, God makes his promise to remember uh, his, his, uh, God promises to remember his promises to us. In Genesis, uh, in chapter nine, just a couple verses after the Bible says, God, remember Noah, the Bible says this, that he said, listen to this, a rainbow in the clouds. Do you know why? So every time we look at it, we would remember, everybody say, remember. remember that we would remember God's promise. Well, do we need a rainbow to remember? No, but what God said is God says, sometimes you'll get so busy with life. You'll forget I made promises. So God said, every time you see a rainbow, that's just not an Instagram opportunity. God said, every time you see a rainbow, that's just not a Facebook opportunity or a social media opportunity. God says, every time you see a rainbow, you remember that God makes promises and God keeps promises. And God says, listen, not only does God in the word remember, not only does God promise uh, to remember his his covenant, to remember his promises, but there are things that God says he'll he'll not remember, which this is some of my favorite scripture right here. I don't know about you guys, but God says this. God says, um, I'll take your sin, and I'll cast it into the sea of forgetfulness and I'll remember it no more. I don't know about you guys, but I got a whole lot of mess. And I'm thankful that because of Jesus, the father gets a good case of divine amnesia to, for, to not remember my sin. Is anybody else here thankful for that? Absolutely. So, so God says, listen, God says, there's things I'm going to remember. And then there's God's there's things God says, there's things I'm not going to remember. But through some of scripture, we see God calling us to Remember? In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, listen to what the Bible says. Everyone read this with me. Remember the Lord your God. Everybody's going to say, Pastor, we're going to do that. But I want you to notice there's a specific area that he addresses that he wants us to remember him. Keep reading with me. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. The, The King James Version says he is the one who gives you the power to get wealth. And it goes on and says this. The reason he he causes us to be successful or that he causes us or gives us the power to get wealth is in order to fulfill the covenant that he confirmed with your ancestors with an oath. So everybody listen, listen, listen. Here's what he's saying. He's saying... There's going to be times that you're going to go to school and you're going to study, study, study. And you're going to work hard and, and you're going to stay up late so you can pass the test. And you're going to finally get your degree. And you're going to look in your say, look what I've accomplished. And you're going to take your degree or you're going to go on and you're going to get a job and you're going to show up every day. And you're going to work hard and you're going to, you're going to get promotions. And there's, you're going to come home at the end of the week and you're going to have that paycheck. And you say, look what I did. Look what I've accomplished. And not at all to diminish that you worked hard. Not at all to diminish that you showed up on the job. But God said, when you get that paycheck, God said, I want you to remember that you are not the source of your prosperity. You are not the source of your success. You are not the source of your advancement. God said, I want you to always remember, always remember the Lord your God, because he's the one who's given us the ability to prosper. He's the one who's given us the ability to get ahead. He's the one who's given, and you're like, pastor, I don't see God on the job. I don't see God in the classroom. want you to know that God gave you your brain, God gave you the ability to study, God gave you legs to get up in the morning and breath in your lungs so you can get to the job, God blessed you with a car and a roof over your head, everything we have comes from God and God says, I don't want you to ever forget in the midst of working hard, I don't want you to forget that I'm the source of all that you have. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest in this room, sometimes life gets so busy that sometimes we forget And so what God does is God takes this principle, not just the call to remember, but God takes this principle of association and he links it to all these things so we have something tangible to hang on to. Do you know why? Because God wired us this way. How many of you in this room are visual learners? Raise your hand. You know, if, if you're honest, all of you are. We learn more, we retain more, and we remember more through things we see, things we touch, things we taste, things we smell. When you engage your senses in something, you're gonna be far more likely to remember. So God says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. I want you to remember. And there's some things that are so important that God connects items and associates things to who he is and what he's done so we don't forget. Here's one, for example. This uh, This is something I'm sure all of you have. This is a, uh, this is a Jewish prayer shawl, a Jewish prayer shawl. And uh, if you're, um, if you've ever been to like New York, you have ever been to a place where there's a strong Jewish population like New York City? How many people have ever been to New York City before? So if you've ever gone through New York City, New York City has a strong, has a, has a uh, pretty predominant Jewish population. You'll see today Orthodox Jews who still wear prayer shawls. And you say, well, Like, why in the world would you wear that? Because this really doesn't seem like it's much of a fashion statement. In fact, you may not always see the entire prayer shawl, but a lot of times, at least people that I've seen, Orthodox Jews who wear these still today, will wear a suit coat over top of their prayer shawl, but you'll still see this bottom hem hang out. You say, why in the world would you wear one of those? What's the point? Because God told them to. I want you to see this. In the book of Numbers, in the book of Numbers, everybody read this with me. Give the following instructions... To the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make, read it with me, tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. So, this is what they did 3,500 years ago when God gives them the law. They started attaching tassels to the edges of their garment. And then, as it progressed, ultimately they just made prayer shawls so they always had tassels on their garments. You say, why in the world? I mean, that's ugly. I mean, you can't, I mean, I can pull it off but probably the rest of you could never pull this off. And so you say, why? Here's why. Because God understands that we are tactile, visual feeling people. And what God wanted his people to know, what God wanted the nation of Israel, and what he wants us to know is, listen, I'm your source of life. I'm your source of joy. I'm your, so- whatever you need, God said, I'm the source of it. So don't ever look other places. Don't chase other things. Don't, fo- don't, don't follow false gods. God says, always be, re- be, always be re- mindful. Always remember that I'm the source. And he said, I know you're gonna forget, so I'm gonna give you a tactile, touching reminder. And so as they would go through life, they would have this on, and you know what happened? These tassels would constantly bump into their hands, and they would remember, God, God's the source. And here's just so you know this this is a, this is a, this is a true prayer shawl. You can't see this from where you're sitting, but each one of these long tassels, um, it has five knots, which represent the five books of the Old Testament law, or the Torah. I want to say Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in between the five knots or four spaces, which represent the four letters of God's name, Yahweh. And so here's what would happen is as they would walk through life, they would constantly touch these and be reminded. But then when they would go to the temple to pray, they would take these long tassels and they they would tie them around their fingers like this. And while they're praying, they would they would be reminded God is faithful. And God, here's what God's lost. Here's what God requires of me. And why they touch, it was this constant reminder. And, and just a side note, how many people here have ever heard when Jesus said, uh, when Jesus told us, like, don't be so consumed with other people hearing you pray. In fact, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet. And like, when I first got saved, I was like, you know, is that like where you keep the brooms? Like, where's the prayer closet? I'm gonna show you where the prayer closet is. The prayer closet to an Orthodox Jew during the time of Jesus is they would take their shawl they would take their outer garment, and while the tassels were around, they would cover their head in prayer. And what they were doing is they were blocking out all the distractions. This was their prayer closet. So here's the thing. Listen, listen. God is saying, listen, I, I, I know you think you're going to remember, but let's be honest. You, some of you can't even you can't remember where you put your car keys. Some of you lose your cell phone." So God says, I know you think you're gonna remember, but I don't wanna leave it up to chance. So God says, I'm gonna give you some things you can touch. God says, I'm gonna give you some things you can physically remember who I am, what I've done, and what I've promised to do. Let me just give you another one here real quick. Uh, There's a a story that um, when, when the nation of Israel, when they're coming out of the wilderness, some of you may be familiar with this, they're coming out of the wilderness and they're getting ready to go into what God says is the promised land. God's bringing them out of old stuff and God is bringing them into something brand new. Because I want you to know that God is all about bringing us out of old stuff and bringing us into something new. If you've got old habits, old lifestyles, old ways of thinking, God wants to take you out of the old and God wants to take you into the new. And so while they're trying to get there, they come across the Jordan River. And they're like, that's awful deep. And I don't know if we can all swim. And so God does a trick. God does a miracle that he did before. Some of you might remember the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea where Moses is standing there and he takes his staff and he's like, and like, like the Red Sea splits and the nation of Israel walk across on dry land In 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 the army of Egyptians, the water swallows them up. Well, God pulls that miracle out again and walking across the River Jordan, it splits and they walk across on dry land. And they get to the other side and God's like, isn't that cool? And they're like, that's cool. And God's like, I don't want you to forget. And they're like, we would never forget. And he's like, well, just in case, because I know you're forgetful people. I know you get busy with life. I know you get distracted by this world. So God says, I want you to always remember what I've done. I want you to never forget how faithful I've been. So what does he do? He gives them a visual tactile reminder. Check this out. When they get to the other side of the Red Sea, God tells the nation of Israel to take 12 large stones and place them on the riverbank so they'll see them. And here's why. Watch this. Every voice here. Come on, y'all read this to me. Y'all third service is quiet. Read this with me. We will use these stones, why? To build a memorial In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Keep going. Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. He's saying when you're down there and you're doing the breaststroke with your kids, like you're in the river, you're down laying on the beach getting some sun and like you're lathering up with some 30 SPF. He says, and your kids are like, hey, daddy, what's those big stones over there? See, there's something special about those rocks. See, you go to any riverbank anywhere in the world, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find stones. You're going to find rocks. They're just common, but those stones were important, they were valuable because they caused a reminder in the nation of Israel. And God says, every time you see those stones, every time your kids see those stones, for generations, when they point to the stones and they're gonna say, what do the stones mean? You're gonna tell them, man, we serve a big God. We serve a God who can do anything. We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God of the supernatural. We serve a God who can make a way where there doesn't seem to be any way. He said, let me tell you, We were trying to walk across here, and we couldn't get across, but God split the River Jordan, so we walked across on dry land. He says, I want you to tell everybody for generations, and what's going to tell the story is the stones. Whoo, come on, somebody. And so, listen, the word here, the word here, memorial, it's actually used twice in this translation, but in the original, it's actually two separate words. The word that's used here is a word that's a sign or it's a signal, God says when you see these stones, it's going to signal something. When I see this toolbox, it signals like my dad. It signals hanging out with my dad, learning from my dad. God says to the children of Israel, when you see these stones, they're going to scream something. It's going to be a signal. The other other word is is it's going to leave a record. It's going to leave a history in these stones that tell a story. Let me give you something a a little more practical for my own life. Again, I was raised in a home, not a Christian home, didn't know Jesus till I was, uh, till I was uh, 17 years old. And up until that time, partied a lot, made a lot of bad decisions. And so one night I was out, um, as per usual, I was out partying and drinking. I was out driving and drinking, 16 years old. It was probably about 2.30 in the morning. Some of you might say, why were you out drinking and driving at 2.30 in the morning? That's another, we're actually going to talk about that in the series, how to raise your kids. So you're going to want to be here for that. So I'm out, and I stopped, by this, uh, I stopped by this convenience store, and there was a kid that I went to school with, and he said, hey, Husky. He said, man, will you give me a ride home? I said, yeah, absolutely. And so he gets in the car, and I'm showing off because, like, I just thought I was going to be cool, and so I'm flying up this road doing, like, 70 miles an hour and uh, booking up this road. I asked first. You all know what booking means, right? So I was booking. Like, that's how fast I was going. So like flying up this road and I took this corner, I slowed down, but I took this corner, but I was going way too fast and my entire rear end slid out. And when I caught traction, it shot straight ahead and hit a building. And uh, when it hit the building, the guy I was in, the guy I was with got out of the car and ran, which was awesome. And uh, so I'm like in this car, I'm alone. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? It's 2.30 in the morning. I just wrecked this car. And I'm like, man, what do I do? And so it was, it was in bad shape, but I was only, only lived about a half mile from there. So I was able to put it in reverse and like, like limp this busted up, smashed vehicle home, pulled it in my parents' driveway, and I thought this. I thought, what do I tell my parents? And I was like, ha. So I go inside. My parents, like, they come down. like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I came out of the, a party and just found my car like this. And my dad was smarter than I thought He was. <laughs> He didn't buy that really simple story, and finally, he you know he gets out of me the truth that I wrecked my car. Well, the time it took me to tell him the truth in that time frame, uh, all of a sudden, by three three thirty in the morning, I hear a boop 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 on our front door. Well, nobody shows up at your house at three o'clock in the morning, and it's good, and so we we look out and it's the police and um, hear what had happened. In my uh, in my genius escape from the scene of the accident, I left my bumper at the scene. And on the bumper was my license plate. And so they was able to, they was able to track me down and find me. So this, so this is a totally true story. So I, lost my, I suspended, lost my license for six months. It was awful. But this is just true. So when I hit this building, it was a building, I don't know, maybe, I'm pretty bad with sizes. I'd say maybe like thirty by 20 by 20 or 30 by 30, something like that. Three stories. I moved the entire foundation of this building six inches. That's how hard I hit it. Um, so they had to cut... Oh, the top two floors were apartments. The bottom floor was, um, was a salon where I actually got my hair cut all through high school. Yeah, that was awesome going back to get haircuts. So they had, to, they had to cut the entire back portion, the foundation of the building out and put all brand new brick in. So here, here's my point is, to, this is true. Still today, you can drive by, and when you see it, it's, all, it's totally different brick, and it's painted a different color. So when you drive by, it's a memorial and it's a signal to the entire city back. of Africa. for real, all the kids I graduated school with, like they drive by and they're like, hey, right there, that's where Husky hit that building. Like they're just not regular stones. There's a story in the stones. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, listen, it might look common. It might look very familiar, but God says, what it means to you is it's a memory of who I am. It's a memory of what I've done. It's a memory of the promises that I've made because God says, sometimes you will get so overwhelmed and you'll get so distracted. God says, sometimes you'll face things and you'll wonder if I'm there. You're going to wonder if I'm going to show up. And God says, what you have to do is God says, you got to remember how I've come through in the past. You have to remember how I've been faithful in your past. And God says, if you'll remember what I've done in your past, you'll have hope for your future. If you'll remember how God showed up in past times, how God made a way in the past, how God delivered you in the past, how God provided in the past, God says we can have confidence that God's gonna show up and show out and make a way in our future. Come on, somebody. So that's what this whole thing is about. It's about God causing our memory to be stirred by giving us tangible, physical items that we can hold on to that calls us to remember. So let me fast forward and give you just one more. And back just before the story, I just told you the nation of Israel, they were in bondage. They were slaves for 400 years. And God never wants his people in slavery. I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you today real quick, hear me, if you are struggling with an addiction, if you're here, man, and you're bound up with something in your life and like you just can't get your head above water, you're struggling with this thing and you can't change, you can't break out, I want you to know, I believe with all of my heart that God's desire is, is for you to be free. And where you can't get free in your own power, I believe the power of God can show up in your life and God can rescue and set you free. God can do something for you that you could never do for yourself. Jesus said this, he who the son sets free is free indeed. And so God's people, man, they're slaves in the nation of Israel. And so because God doesn't want his people to be slaves, he raises up Moses and Moses has to go to the king of Egypt. He has to go to the Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And so like when we tell the story, we're always like, uh, God said, let my people go. And th- that's just not right. Because if I was there, you got to say that with some kind of attitude. You better let God's people go. You've got to like say it. And so he gets there. He's like, you better let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, No. And Pharaoh refused to bend his knee to the will of God. And so anytime you disobey God, judgment always follows. And so God sends 10 plagues, 10 judgments on the nation of Egypt in order to get Pharaoh to bend his will and his knee to God Almighty. And plague after plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh continues to refuse to let God's people go, to let to release them from slavery And so finally, God sends the last and the worst of all the plagues, the 10th plague. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 11 and 12, where ultimately God says this. God says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to allow death to move through the land. In the firstborn, in every household, in every field is going to die. Every child, every firstborn child in every home, every firstborn animal in every farm is going to die. But God says, I don't want judgment, and this is to you still today. God says, I don't want judgment, and I don't want death to come to my people. So God says, I'm going to make a way for them to escape judgment. And so God gives the people of Israel these instructions that each family is to take a little goat, a little sheep, a little lamb, and they're to sacrifice that lamb and take, and I know this is weird if you don't have a church background, but it's, it's such a beautiful picture, really. God says, I want you to take the blood of this animal and wipe it on your door. And then at night, after you do that, I want you as a family to sit down and have dinner, and that's your meal. That's your meal is cooking this lamb. And they do it, and God, here's what God's promises. God's promise is that when death passes through the land, listen to this, God says as death passes through the land, it'll come to the house that has the blood all over, it, and it will pass over. Everybody say, over." It's saying judgment won't come to that house. Death won't come to the house. It will pass over. What causes death and judgment to pass over us is the blood of the lamb. Jesus is our sacrifice for all time. I want you to think about this. So this next morning, man, they come out of their house. And man, there's weeping. They can hear crying all through the land. Imagine tens of thousands of people crying because they wake up and their baby boy is dead. And all of a sudden they turn around and they see the blood on the doorpost and everybody in their house alive. And they're like, look what God did. And God's like, yeah, yeah, ain't I awesome? And they're like, God, you're awesome. God says, I don't want you to ever forget what I've done. I want you to ever forget that I'm the one Who saved you that i'm the one who delivered you that i'm the one who got you out of sleep You didn't do it. You're not smart enough to do it. You're not strong enough. God says I don't want you to ever forget that i'm the one responsible for your freedom And just like you and I we say I would I would never forget that And god says just to be sure I don't want to leave it up to your memory. God says I want to give you something you can touch and feel I want to give you something visual that when you see it Every time you see it, you're going to remember what god did And so Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says this, come on, every voice read this form, read this with me. This is a day to remember. You better believe it is. This is a day to remember each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. So after this event, God puts into place what's called the Passover feast. And every year, God said, I want you to sit down. I want you to go through the exact same thing. I want you to slaughter another lamb. I want you to eat that at dinner time." He said, when you do it, you're going to remember what God did. And time's going to turn, weeks or uh, years are going to turn into decades. Decades are going to turn into generations. He said, I want you to keep keeping the Passover. That you remember how faithful I am. That you remember that it's always been me. And so I want you to fast forward now because Jesus being a good Jew... Jesus did exactly what his father commanded and Jesus kept the Passover. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sitting with his disciples keeping the Passover meal, remembering what his father had done. And I want you to notice what he says here as we get ready to wrap this up. When the time came, the time of the Passover meal, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table and Jesus said, I have been very eager, come on, read this, to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Right after this meal is the time that Jesus is arrested, that he is crucified, and that he's laid in a tomb. It says, then he took a cup of wine, which this place really messes the Baptists up. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. So they pass a cup around. Then he took some bread and gave thanks to God. Come on, read it with me. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying this. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next verse. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said this. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is lured out as a sacrifice for you. Here's what he's saying. Listen, he's saying not long from now, I'm going to die. And I'm going to lay down my life for you. Nobody's going to take my life. Nobody was big enough or bad enough to kill Jesus. He said, nobody's going to take my life. I'm going to willingly and freely lay it down. He said, but listen, that's not the end because on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And he said, I'm doing all of this so you can find forgiveness, so you can find grace, so you can be reconnected with your heavenly father. He's saying, you could never do this on your own. You're not good enough. You're not smart. All of us are sinners. He said, Jesus is saying, I'm doing for you what you could never do for yourself. He said, there's going to come a time that you're going to start to think that you're good enough. He said, or there's going to come a time that you're going to start thinking that you're not good enough. He said, I want you to always remember, don't ever forget that your relationship with your creator was never based on your behavior. It was always based on Christ's sacrifice. So he says, listen, I want you to always remember. Everybody say, Remember? I want you to always remember when you get busy, when you get in church, don't start thinking that God loves you because you serve in the parking lot. Don't start thinking that God loves you more because you work with kids. Don't start thinking or believing the hype that God loves you more because you give more in the plate. God doesn't love you more if you, give you, if you give more and God doesn't love you less if you give less. God's love is forever fixed. It is a constant in eternity for every person in this room based solely on what Jesus has done when he died in our place, took our sin and gave us his grace. That's what we're called to remember is in him. We're free and we're forgiven. In him. We have a brand new beginning. So let's just be honest. As our worship team comes, a lot of times we don't remember that. And it's not that we forget it, but we get so busy with life, it seems to fall further and further behind. A lot of times we struggle with doubt and discouragement. A lot of times we struggle with anxiety and fear. And so we have all of this negativity and we have all of these things bouncing in our heart and bouncing in our head. And so God says, listen, you're thinking about the wrong stuff. You're putting your attention on the wrong things. And so in Philippians 4, 8, the Apostle Paul gives us this last scripture as we read it together. Every voice here, read this with me. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. He's saying, listen, what he's calling us to do is he said, I want you to remember I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember what I've done. And I want you to remember the promises I've made. Because if we'll remember who he is and what he's done, if we'll remember what God has done in our past, it gives us hope for our future. That no matter where I'm at, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, when you remember how good God has been, when you remember how faithful God has been, when you remember, if you don't think you've ever experienced God yourself, when you remember that if nothing else, when Jesus died, he died for you too, that we have a point in our history to hold on to that gives us hope for our tomorrow. And so today in the midst of your busy lives and overwhelmed with so many things, I wanna call us together in a moment as we take communion to remember who Jesus is and to remember what he's done. Heavenly Father, I pray in these next few moments, God, as we honor you in our worship, as we honor you in communion, I pray, Father, that people would have a real moment with you. I pray this would not be about religion or just this thing we do on Sunday. Some of you in this room, man, you feel far from God and you feel like you've run from him and he'll never take you back. As we take communion in a minute, I want you to know that, man, he loves you. He loves you. He loved you enough to die for you. And your relationship with God is based on what he's done. For some of you in this room, that, man, you're busy playing the religion game, trying to keep up and always do the right thing. And we, we need to strive for righteousness. We need to walk in godliness and holiness. But hear me, how we live and the choices we make It doesn't determine God's love for us. That is fixed in the cross of Calvary. And so in a moment when we sing, we take communion. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir every heart to have a moment with you where their lives will be changed forever. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this together.